This is the strategy inside everything. I'm Adam Pierno. All right, welcome back to another episode of the strategy inside everything. I am excited to pick it back up. We've taken a little bit of a break in producing new episodes, but I saw a thread on Twitter, as I am wont to do, and I was inspired. Um, I reached out right away to our guest here, and we were able to coordinate this. Um, Isaiah Langawe, who is a partner and chief strategy officer at Anomaly in LA. Isaiah, welcome. Thank you for joining Hi. me. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to, um, to I've, I've never, I've had lots of people call me out on, on Twitter threads, but never anyone productively wanting to turn it into a conversation on a podcast. So, <laughs> well, uh, you'll notice I didn't try to make the conversation happen on Twitter all that much. I think I commented, but you can have a great conversation like we're about to have on in, yes. the, in the threaded. Exactly. I mean, as we all know, there is no room for nuance whatsoever on Twitter. So, you know, it is kind of like, it's always a very unique chance when you get to have a conversation about the intent and what you're trying to convey, you know, when you're trying to force something into 140 characters. Absolutely. Well, before we get going on that, why don't you give people a sense of who you are, where you've been and what you've done, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Yeah. Well, um, the accent is from Australia. I was born in New Zealand, um, but my parents, uh, we moved there when I was young. New Zealand is kind of the Canada to America. So it's, uh, it's it has a chip on its shoulder about the, the, the bigger country. I, I love both in equal measure, but Australia is uh, the country I claim. And I had always wanted to seek truth. You know, my, I was the first to go to, to college and the first to really understand what a white collar job was. It meant that I wanted to, I thought I wanted to be in journalism. Um, I thought I wanted to be in politics. And then I found myself in advertising, as you do. And I was working in the research and strategy group. So it was interesting to see all the things we had like learned get translated into really interesting, simple slogans. They were bringing you the, the creative application or the expression of the insights you were finding. Yeah. And, and so that was, um, so it was fascinating to me because I thought advertising until then was just really cool people who came up with like pictures and words. And I didn't really see uh, a space for someone like me who wanted, to, who would love talking to people and loved culture and, and, and wanted to like the psychology of things. I didn't realize that there was actually a function for people with those interests in advertising. So as you do, I think when you're, you know, when you're more intrepid and naive as a, as a youngster, I just kind of introduced myself to everyone at the agency and, and begged for a job. And so, <laughs> um, so I was able to, um, to get into what was, um, kind of their graduate trainee program at the time and, um, and, and spent a really, uh, glorious kind of first, um, eight years of my career with them and, um, started out in their Sydney office, um, learned about strategy from, you know, people who would come from Sachi and Sachi London. So it was like learning the English kind of IPA method of planning, which is, um, you know, probably sometimes a bit too academic for its own good, sometimes a little too pretentious for its own good. But I think for me, um, a really useful framework that helped um, uh, me understand the real craft of what we do as planners. I had an itch as somebody who felt like I was growing up in you know, Sydney and, and, and outside of the main game. So I think global globalness was, was a big part of my ambition. And so, um, I was able to, uh, move within the network and, uh, work at, um, Saatchi in Singapore and Saatchi in Shanghai and Saatchi in Sao Paulo. Um, 
and then landed at Sacha, New York, where, um, uh, where um, that was my, my entree into the US and working on, um, you know, big American things, learning kind of American culture. And, um, and, uh, and I think really kind of opened my eyes to what is the biggest and most dynamic market in the world. Um, uh, but, but I think, um, yeah, so, so, so Sachi and Sachi kind of gave me a lot of the fundamentals. And uh, then I moved to Anomaly, New York, um, where I um, uh, ended up running our planning department. And uh, Anomaly was kind of my first real um, uh, way to expand on my planning skills. So it was a, a way to not just do advertising, but also learn how to create brands from scratch um, and, 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 and learn about business transformation, things like that. And, um, and then moved to Los Angeles. Um, New York is a work hard, play hard culture. And I think a little bit of my Australianness was calling me, um, to somewhere that, uh, that, you know, that's, um, you know, a little more, uh, balanced, um, jury still out on whether that's true in Los Angeles, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think it's, uh, I think, um, you know, it, it's funny to work in marketing and then f- all the time. Um, but, um, but yeah, moved to Los Angeles and, uh, and, um, helped to create, um, the strategic planning practice at uh, creative artists agency, CAA, which is the world's biggest entertainment company. I think it was a really interesting, um, I call it my MBA in entertainment, a really fascinating way to understand, um, what it's like when you apply the principles of brand strategy to living people and how you help them to build out brands and businesses. Um, and, um, and then, yeah, then, um, was there for three years and, and, and then, you know, got the, um, got the, uh, invitation to open up, um, Anomaly in Los Angeles. Um, uh, and I think for me, um, for the past four and a half years, it's been just a learning, a, a blur, um, but an, a super educational blur as, you know, um, it's become a, uh, you know, a, a real opportunity to create something new in the LA market to kind of bring some of that anomaly thinking to the West coast. Um, and, and yeah, it's, 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 it is day by day, one foot in front of the other sort of thing. Um, it is always a work in progress, but, um, but certainly, um, you know, for me, the themes of, um, you know, trying to understand people, trying to solve business problems, um, and constantly trying to kind of better my, way of approaching things, um, you know, that's kind of led to a lot of, you know, these sorts of, um, jobs I've been fortunate to have, um, you know, throughout the past couple of years. So yeah, it's an amazing story going from the political world to the agency world, then the excursion into entertainment, you know, you got to work at Saatchi and Anomaly, which are two powerhouse agencies for strategic thinking. That's, that's a quite a ride. (laughs) Yes. There is. Go ahead. Yes, quite no, quite, quite a ride, and I think um, you know, uh, yeah, you, you, you plenty and plenty of different things to learn from companies that are at different life stages as well. Um, and I think you know, definitely um, uh, being involved in creating a, an agency from the ground up um, certainly gives you a perspective on what are the things that I've learned and how do I want to you know, apply them, um, you know, in a meaningful way. And I don't, so the, the conversation that, that we were having on Twitter that, that we're moving here is really about how talent is 
what's the what's the pathway for talent? So in your case, let's start with you as the as the isolated exception for most people that enter advertising. You observed it as a client. Mm. You shamelessly begged for a job, which I salute you, sir. That's what you do when you're in your 20s. That's what yes, I do as well. Um, hung around in the parking lot waiting for people to notice me and say, hey, can I come up there with you? Um, mm-hmm. You, through determination and hard work and skill, you earned your way in and then obviously elevated you up through achievement and accomplishment. Do you, now that you are leading an agency, an office, mm-hmm. do you feel like you were prepared to take a management and a leadership role in any meaningful way? Or was it a, a lucky context that you absorbed lessons that were given to you passively? Yeah. Um, I say that um, I, I was more prepared this round to, um, to, to lead because I think um, a big part of what I, I, I still reckon with is, you know, um, the earliest part of my career. And I think, you know, it wasn't necessarily a Saatchi thing so much as it was a me thing was, um, you know, when you grow up broke, all you care about is just trying not to be broke and you throw everything at it. And I think for me, that was the only thing I knew was I, I like, I don't know if I'm going to outsmart everyone, but I'm sure as hell going to outwork everyone. And yeah. so I think, um, you know, and, and, and that it got rewarded through kind of title promotions became kind of a, a very addictive kind of like um, game for me. And I think that the, the only, the, I think a lot of my lessons come from my own reflections on um, my shortcomings earlier in my career. Cause I think when I got to such New York, um, I, you know, I had a, a vice president title and a, you know, and a director title and then getting to anomaly and kind of becoming a co-head of planning. Um, these were all titles that mattered to me. Yeah. Um, very, very yeah. much at that went the first go round or, or I'm assuming you were in your late twenties, maybe early thirties. Yeah. It's all of a sudden you're like, I, I am here and now I'm going to defend this, <laughs> this ground yeah. that, I've, that I've earned. Yeah, it was, it was, um, yeah, these were all things that I, I think in, in, in retrospect, I don't know whether they truly mattered, but I think for me, it mattered that, you know, um, uh, I was 26 when I got that VP title. Um, and then I was 28, um, when, you know, I was kind of on the trajectory for the co-head title. And I think I didn't know anything. You know, I mean, it's like I knew, I knew, I knew enough. Obviously, did, I had did enough. Did you know then? I mean, now it's easy. Ten years later, mm, or whatever it mm. is, to look back and go, "Oh my God, how was I doing that job?" Mm. When, when you were twenty six on your first day at that job, mm. did you did you go in saying, "I don't know how to do this. Who can help me?" Or did you just no. go in and say, "I'm the man. I got this. I figured this out too." Yeah, I, I think I think I walked in there thinking I I knew all my shit, and I think that that was you know, and clearly I didn't, you know, I think, I think for me, the, um, the humbling came in those titles, you know, cause I think until then it was like, Hey, you're like the kid genius and you're really good, you know? And, and you, you start to really kind of take that on board until you actually get into difficult situations that you don't know how to, you know, um, yeah, uh, you know, negotiate your way out of, I, I just hadn't had enough runs on the board. You know, I, I had read everything there was to read about the planning practice. 
I knew academically how to approach most of these business problems. Um, but that didn't prepare me for, you know, just the, the reality of like what experience can teach you, which is like, you just have to have a lot of good days and bad days and good clients and bad clients. You have to have a lot of flops as well as the successes. And I think that life just hadn't presented enough of those for me to truly be able to, um, I think lead with the appropriate level of empathy and um, management that I, I now believe is really critical to being a good boss. And I think I, at the time, because status was what mattered to me, because again, when you grow up broke, you, you clamor for anything that feels like I'm making it. You clamor for anything that makes it feel like, damn, I'm doing better than my parents ever did and whatnot. And I think that the clamoring for status made me forget about the craft of, of, of what it actually means to lead. Um, I think for me, it was just, I enjoyed the status of leading. Um, and that's, in my opinion, if you're, if you're, if you're still at that point, I don't think you're really ready to be a good leader. You can be a leader for sure. Um, but the kind of leader that's going to sustainably build a culture that people want to be a part of. I don't think so. Yeah. You know, my, my career was similar. I didn't think I reached the same trajectory as you did as, as quickly as you did, but I remember getting a senior level promotion and feeling the same way, like, well, okay, I, I've figured out everything before I'll figure this out. And not until I had that job two or three different places that I say, Oh, I have no idea what, I didn't even understand the first two thirds of the job description. I was just doing my old job, mm. more, like harder core creative or harder core mm-hmm. strategy. <laughs> then that's what I thought it was like, Oh, I'll just work another six hours a day. Yeah. That's, that's not what, that's not what it is. So yeah. we, I think when I've moved people from a productive role, you know, a mm. junior role or a mid-level role into a management role, Mm-hmm. I have intended to do that as a reward, giving them the title that you and I just both admitted that we coveted. I totally did. Mm-hmm. Getting my first creative director and my first, mm-hmm. you know, strategy lead, chief strategy officer, whatever, had to have that title. It was very important. I have no idea why, mm-hmm. but when I have promoted people from planner to VP of planning or something, I have tried to be more mindful of making sure they understand the management part of it and making sure they yeah. have management responsibility because that is not the rule in agency world. You want to, yeah. you want to speak to that a little bit about how, how you've observed that? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think that that's the thing is it's born of my own kind of experience and reflection, which is that um, I was uh, you know, I, I was, you know, promoted because I was good at the specific parts of what those jobs entailed. So, you know, getting, yeah, the functional pieces. So I was a, you know, I was a good planner and therefore I was attached to work that worked. You know, we, 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 you know, we, we were winning awards. We were, we, we win business. I was very close with clients. Um, All the things that are, you know, um, that exceed the expectations of what you think a, strategic planner or a senior planner should be. Um, but yeah, not, none of it was, um, there was never a, uh, th- 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 there was never kind of like a real intent behind. So these are the new things that become part of your remit. 
it, 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 it just became like, hey, you just have bigger rooms that you're now in and the stakes are higher. And whilst that's true, of course, I think that like, um, I think it was like the power part is always clear. The responsibility part is never that clear. And I think that at least in my journey, that was the thing that I missed a lot. And I feel is, is an industry thing for us to reckon with, which is um, that responsibility part, we have to codify a little bit more um, in order to create, you know, and solve for some of the systemic issues that, you know, we're, we're now all reckoning with, I think, part of part of, of 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 why we're here is because we don't have enough um our definition of leadership is still too narrow and i think to your point on the word functional it's it's um it's built around functional capabilities functional kpis because anything else is considered to be soft and therefore not as important um and i think that's a problem i yeah good point good point indeed and we do tend to recruit those ambitious type of people that want to climb the ladder and look at the, the entry-level job, the mid-level uh-huh. job as a stepping stone to that position of power. Uh-huh. And I've never been in an agency that has a great training program for setting people up for success. I have watched people succeed for sure. I have watched people figure it out. And I have absolutely observed people bomb uh-huh. <laughs> when they get into that big chair and all of a sudden yeah. the, the, they have to listen and they have to take meetings with people who have real problems that they are looking for help with yeah. uh, on beyond the work, beyond like, let's, let's shape this deck together, but real, their own career problems and their own ambition and, and, you know, the human soft side that you're mentioning. Yeah. I mean, I, I think for me that, you know, because a symptom of that is, um, uh, and again, you know, this industry attracts a lot of ambitious people as well. It should, you know, I think ambition is a, uh, is an important trait for, you know, and, and I think it's consistent amongst everyone who has, you know, um, done well against traditional markers of success in our industry. I, I think though that, um, one of the things that we encourage, whether we mean to or not is a culture where people manage up, but then don't know how to manage down once they're, once they're actually in the leadership position. So, you know, you, you encourage, I, I, for me, one of the, I kind of say is just like one of the most dangerous quotients in agency culture and in client culture are people who I say are, um, uh, they're content dumb, but politically smart. You know, um, and so, you know, and I find them to be the most toxic detractors in any, in, in any culture, which is that they know how to play the game of which people are important and which people are, you know, um, optically the things that you need to get done, but often don't do the, the hard graft of the work that's required for the business to, 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 to do what it needs to do. So I, I think that, um, yeah, I think that for me, the, um, we encourage a lot of that when we don't have leaders who know how to manage down. And so to your point, they get, they get defensive when people call them out. So yeah. when truth is spoken to power, it's seen as, you know, um, it, it, it's seen as, a, as, as, as defiance to, 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 to them when in fact it actually could be an opportunity for them to grow because this could be a chance for them to work with their team to, you know, arrive at a, at a, um, at an outcome that could be different to the one that they just think is, 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 is there. So I think, you know, that's, um, 
I feel like that's just one of the big issues with an industry that, you know, um, especially because we promote a lot of young men into these positions and then you take in just the general, um, you know, uh, project of, 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 of men needing to kind of understand themselves a little bit more. Um, and yeah, we, we end up in, in, in situations again, where, um, leaders are just not trained they don't see enough examples of it in their culture. And, and therefore you have these people arriving at big jobs, um, not knowing the fullness of it. They just know the traditional parts of it. And I guess the more we have people who only know the traditional limited parts of leadership, the more we're going to have traditional um, limited cultures within our organizations. And, you know, that's when, you know, we, um, we continue, we contribute to, you know, the, um, the, the issues that we continue to have as an industry, even after all these decades of conversation around diversity and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Well, diversity is, we keep ending up at the same place, no matter every five or six years, there'll be a new Uh focus on diversity and inclusion. There will be a thrust towards recruiting talent that is diverse and coming from different perspectives. But ultimately, what I've observed again and again, I would say it's getting incrementally better, but not, not, it's not good enough. Uh We keep repeating the same cycle of we promote the same type of person, the overly ambitious and I hate to say it, but I'm going to um, essentially an agency is the white person to that Uh role Uh because we repeat the cycle of not training them Uh in management and in the soft skills, they repeat and replicate the same culture underneath them that they came up with. Their boss Uh may have gotten promoted or probably moved on to the next shop, Uh but they get there and they reinforce that. So then as your, uh, the conversation that we started online hinted at, they recruit from the same pool that they came from thinking, Mm -hmm. well, I got here. I want to find the next me. Here's where I was in the same place instead of, and then we have to convince that next generation leaders all over again in five years. No, no, no. Remember diversity is important. And they go, Oh, I guess it is important. I I better find one of my next five hires. I better figure that out instead of a real commitment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's, you know, what I mean around, you know, um, we haven't created an environment for what modern leadership could look like. So I think we end up kind of, um, you know, in the same sort of um, space where we, you know, these are people who are functional high performers, but, you know, they're not people who necessarily can create inclusive anti-racist cultures um, because their KPI is fundamentally about other things, you know, and they're not really incentivized uh, until, until, you know, it's, 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 it's always too late. And so I think, um, for me, you know, definitely it's not lost on, um, on me as, as somebody who is not white and is, you know, a big fat Brown man trying to figure his way out through, (laughs) um, you know, through, uh, these different rooms. I think one of the things that I know about myself is like, I'm very practiced in whiteness. And I think a lot of people, of color of my generation who have, you know, um, navigated these rooms know that there is a playbook that you use in order to, um, advance because, um, uh, it's, it's why I love what is happening with this next generation is I value comfort and I value, um, 
you know, uh, just keeping it cute and not trying to disrupt too much. And I think that, um, you know, an important part of, of, of the reckoning that's happening in our industry is, um, we have played up to comfort a lot. And so therefore we have a lot of people who might optically provide diversity, but are, you know, uh, are only just one expression of these different communities. And I think that we're finally ready, hopefully, um, as an industry to welcome more, uh, more, you know, a, a wider variety of expressions. You know, there is, there is like multiple ways in which someone can express a, their identity and community. And I think, um, you know, for me, um, that's a really encouraging, um, thing, but I, but I think that, um, to your point, it's, um, uh, comfort is a key word because I think for a lot of people, um, when you're stressed and you've got a lot of things as a leader, um, the people you decide to group text, you know, the people on your team that you're comfortable enough to group text on the weekends and hang out with, um, they get advantages because they're the ones who might be able to kind of understand a little bit more about where you want to take things. They, oh, yeah. they, and, and, you know, um, the ambitious ones will obviously take up an advantage like that. And I think that for me, that's one of the things we have, that's one of the symptoms of, you know, um, the culture that we need to break is, um, yeah, you might be inviting, you might be hiring those people, but they're not on the group text or they're not in the inside click that, that knows what, how to move up in the organization, the, the unwritten rules. Exactly. And so I think, you know, and, and we've known this for, we've known this for decades with the representation of women in Adland, you know? And so the point is that it's, um, it's, uh, this is something that has to change because, um, you know, uh, simply because you're friends with somebody doesn't necessarily mean that they're the best person for the team. And I think like, that's the, that's the, I think it's one of these, these are the, the, the systemic sort of bias things that I think are, are we need to look at um, as we think about a systemic solution um, to what is a real systemic problem, you know? And so I think, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's critical that we look at biases and how they kind of manifest in power structures. Do you wish, do you ever look back at those first job, the first titles that you got? Do you ever yeah. wish like, hey, I wish I would have been a year or two later when I got that VP job or that director job? I mean, obviously not. Cause I, you know, I wanted to pay my bills. <laughs> so, you know, the thing is, it's like, it's not for, it wasn't for lack of trying. I mean, I, you know, each of these things were deserved, but I think that, um, I do sense though, I think, and, and I, I think about some of my female peers at the time, I knew how to be in a room. I knew how to, I, 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 I was never shy about sharing my opinion. And I think that like, one of the things I consider when we talk about expressions is that, um, you know, the, when you think about an, an, an industry that can be built around showmanship and that can be built around um, male ideas of confidence, it can really kind of bias towards a certain type of female leader, you know? So we end up having, we, we end up having better representation for sure of women, not enough at all, but you know, um, not, uh, at I, I, not at the top at, at for, 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 for real. And, but, but I think for me, it's like, um, uh, I don't recall um, quieter expressions of femininity with some of my female peers being considered something that was promotion worthy. You know, it's like, oh, she's just a bit quiet and a bit reserved and she's really smart, but you know, Isaiah is really good in the room. And so I think that those are the things where it's like, both about the quality of our work was both equally outstanding, but you know, there's a question there about like, so what are we saying that 
just because she's quiet. Therefore, you know, because showmanship is maybe an important thing for a winning business. I think these are, these are the sorts of questions where it's like, nobody asks them. Everyone just goes, well, obviously he knows how to win a pitch when in fact, so does she. But I think that we don't, um, I don't think we interrogate these things enough. And obviously that's because, you know, the, 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 the running an agency these days is a lean, mean, efficient game. And I worry that as we get more lean and mean, that we're going to just start making efficient decisions, which then reinforce the biases even further. Yeah. I mean, have you been able to, so you've been in your new role for four years, not to put you Mm -hmm. on the spot, but speaking Mm -hmm. about leadership and training, have you, Mm -hmm. as you've been moving people up Mm -hmm. through the organization, have you been able to provide them access to more training about, about those soft skills and about management and about uh, perspective on, you know, the culture that you want to build and, and recruiting you know, among diverse population. Yeah. I think, you know, um, we're um, as imperfect as everybody else in the industry. I think um, one of the things that, um, which isn't an excuse at all, but I, but I think is um, my, my kind of approach to this is um, you've got to see it to be it, which is why it's really important that we have, um, you know, uh, um, different kinds of people leading these rooms, not just mm-hmm. being in the rooms. Um, I think another thing is just um, accountability is really important for me and my two partners here in LA. You know, I think for us um, owning the conversation and being as transparent as we can um, in the way where we talk about things that are important to management. Um, just because for me, it's like, um, especially in the diversity stuff, um, HR plays a really critical role and HR is super important, of course. Um, but I think that if you outsource everything to HR, um, and, and abdicate leadership of that responsibility and ownership, I think people can tell, you know, and I, and I think that for me, it's like, yeah, does this add to the 500 million other things I have to worry about as a leader? Yeah. But is it, is it important and essential? Yeah. Because I don't know whether it's, um, um, the power and the buck stops with us in leadership. So if we don't, if we don't interrogate these questions hard enough, and if we don't try to at least address and move these things forward, it'll become to your point. It'll be a tragedy if in five years, the industry has to react to yet again. Um, but I, I feel optimistic about, um, I think what's happening in this, in this particular, uh, time. Yeah, I'm, part of it is that the the generation coming in seems to be much more tightly knit and aligned on we want to fix this together, advertising and outside advertising, yeah. that when they look around for their group that they are going to want to recruit into the agency, mm. they really will reach out further than previous generations did. I agree. I think I think what I what I find to be more um encouraging about this moment because you know it's it's i've seen lots of different diversity programs come and go and i think that um you know obviously you've seen all the different lip service attempts from the industry come and go i think what is encouraging about this um this time is that the coalition is much wider and more powerful because this is not a black person issue a brown person issue. It is like, you know, there are so many, it's encouraging to know that this entire generation owns it as a collective, you know, that um, 
a lot of um, you know white allies in this time are using their voice to to, to support it and talk about the importance of inclusivity um, and 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 the anti-racism um, work that needs to be done. So I think that the coalition is broader and more willing, which is exciting. I think the second part is that um, this generation are unapologetic in a way that. You know, as a, as an aging, sad millennial, I, I, I feel bad for our generation because we were meant to be the game changers. And it's like, I feel this next gen are actually doing the work that we were meant to be doing, which is um, they, they are far less worried about fallout. You know, I think they are happy to speak up about the companies that they work for and they expect more. And I think that, you know, my playbook is a keep it cute playbook and that hasn't worked. You know, I think it's like, sometimes you need to roll your sleeves up and, and, and get at it. And I, I love that about this generation. Yeah. I don't think agencies were able to make any headway because the broader culture that they were serving was not interested in making headway there. You yeah. know, it's easy to say, Oh, agencies failed and they did fail, but yeah. America specifically where I live, I don't, I can't speak for the whole globe, but America was not ready for it to be a big solution that was, that was made possible, but it seems you're right. I think the next generation is opening the door or just kicking it in. Yeah. Yeah. We hope so. I mean, look, Australia is definitely not a bastion of inclusivity either. I mean, I think Australia is, you know, a live example of, you know, um, I am a product of growing up in a, in a country that valued assimilation and that expected it of every one of its immigrants. And, you know, so I think that, you know, when I, when I speak to anyone who's not white, but grew up in Australia, we all have the knowing nod of like, well, yeah, clearly you knew how to make it work, you know, because, <laughs> you know, because it's like, you, you know, how to kind of like talk the talk and walk the walk. And there's a lot of trauma that can be kind of like locked within that, you know? Um, but, but, but yeah, I mean, I think coming back to, to um, this generation and I think why it's exciting um, is um, I, I think, yeah, the, 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 they're unapologetic. It's a broader coalition. And I think the other thing that I find encouraging about this, this time is um, our vocabulary is finally wide enough. You know, um, yeah. when we talk about systemic racism, this was stuff I remember talking about on campus, you know, in my political science thing. But it, it was never anything that translated to a wider populace, you know, because you racism get, you couldn't make it make sense to people outside that classroom. Totally. Because racism for a long time, unfortunately, stream is comes down to a couple of words. And so therefore, everything else that's more insidious, more covert gets dismissed as being not real, you know. And, and I think for me, that's what I love about everyone finally kind of like wrapping their heads around like, oh, like when I do that, that can actually be a racist act, you know, because I think before that's why so much of this stuff and, and, and I think why the dropout rates are so horrendous in the industry is because um, people in power didn't think it was like they were the ones who were in charge of deciding whether it was racist or not. Right. And I think like, that is what's so encouraging about where we're headed is like everyone gets um, or at least is beginning to get that um, racism uh, is a system and racism, um, you know, is not just a couple of words and that all of us need to be more conscious because even non-white and like non-black people can be incredibly racist. And so I think that's the, that's, you know, what I'm excited about as a journey for all of us, but I think comes back to the point we we're making earlier, which is we need leaders 
who can recognize the importance of that and factor that into how they manage their, the cultures that they're leading. Because, you know, um, it can't just be about, do you know how to win, you know, and, and are you the smartest? Are you the most creative? That's, of course, we're, we're running businesses. That's important. But if we don't understand that the other parts of it, creating an inclusive culture, because we are lucky enough as an industry to represent culture to people. So if you're not good at it, then you need to get out. So I think like for me, you know, but it's the truth. It's yes, like, it's it not, that's why I'm laughing. Yeah. It's, it's not like, um, it's like, that's what is so crazy to me about why, how anyone could think that the conversation that we're having is non-essential or that it's just a nice to have. It's like, dude, like you, you know, any youth brief you're mostly working on in this day and age is a black culture brief. And so I think for me, it's like, if you do not care enough to understand what responsibility you have, if you are not black to know what needs to kind of like go into a cult, you know, to a brief that touches it, then, you know, that would be malpractice in any other industry. So yeah, the stuff's important. For sure. Yeah, understatement. Um, Isaiah, <laughs> this was even, even better than I thought it would be. Thank you for making time. I, I hope, uh, I hope this lived up to your, <laughs> to your expectation from our brief uh, exchange on Twitter. Yeah. Look, I'm glad that I've exceeded your low expectations for this chat. <laughs> um, it's good for you to admit that. Uh, no, no, no. I, I, I've enjoyed it. And, and I think, you know, it's, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, vulnerability is strength. And I think all of us in the industry need it if we're to truly avoid having to have a Groundhog Day conversation about reacting too late to, um, to the culture that's around us because that is now an essential part. If It always was, but now hopefully more people are realizing that it's an essential part of how we do business and how we lead and how we create. You, you so. hope it's sinking in. It seems like it is, so. Yeah. Let's see, we'll, we'll reconnect in a year and see how we're doing. Yes. Um, where awesome. can people find you online, Isaiah? Um, they can catch me on Twitter where there are more um, wonderful threads like this. Um, <laughs> my name is spelled A-I-S for Sam, E-A. I'll definitely um, um, link to it for sure. Yeah, that's um, awesome, Adam. Thanks for uh, taking the time. Awesome. This is really great. Thanks for uh, joining me today. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much. Great. That was that was fucking awesome. Good to talk to you more than anything. Just uh, good conversation, which is what I go for. Yeah. Wait, don't stop listening. The show's not over. If you liked what you just heard, or you've liked any of the episodes of the Strategy Inside Everything, do me a favor. I really appreciate it. Leave a review wherever you listen to the show, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever please leave us a rating and a review. Please, if you can, share this episode or another episode with a friend. Let them know what you liked about it. Uh, that helps us quite a bit. If you have ideas for guests, for topics, follow up on episodes you've heard, you can tweet at us, at APierno, that's me, or at strategy underscore inside, that's the show. Either way, I promise I will respond to you and get back to you right away. And listen, running this show is a labor of love. I really do it just because I enjoy the conversations, but it does cost money. So web hosting costs money. Microphones cost money. My kids' haircuts cost money. If you wouldn't mind, look at our Patreon. It's Patreon, uh, Adam Pirano there, and you could help us out quite a bit. For more information about all the guests we've had, anything you want to know about the podcast, 
uh, my two books, Underthink It in specific, or ways to engage with me as a strategy consultant or as a speaker at your next event, please go to adampierno.com and you'll find all the information you want. And if you can't, just send me a note. Thanks a lot.